from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 120 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling. I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Bonjour, Craig. How have you been? Oh, I I could complain, but I'm not going to. That's not what oh. we're here for tonight. Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm willing. I, I, <laughs> you have you have my shoulder. <laughs> I yeah. I'll keep it. I'll keep it all fun tonight. I'm just. So, I, I've I've done enough complaining lately. Well, I'll, I'll be positive. Well, at least you weren't on the Disney Skyliner. Yeah, and I mean that's that's where a lot of the complaining and stuff <laughs> stems from. So I'm 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 taking a break from talking to everyone, minus you. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, we were uh, when we were in. I think that happened when we were in Paris. I'm not sure, but uh, we were listening to that with great interest as to what happened after only six days. But um, yeah, it was but, it was intriguing, and you know, it's apparently we all have different stances on it, and uh, that's that's great. That's what makes us all human is that we mm-hmm. can have different opinions and for the most part we don't take it out on each other except for wars and all that other stuff but (laughs) but you know i have to luckily no one was seriously injured that i'm aware of i I may have missed reports about it but there were a couple of humorous things that people with a lot of time on their hands seem to have posted on the internet one was you know those those crazy little clacky balls that hang down they're silver and you Mm -hmm. let one go and then or you let two go and then on the opposite side the same number of balls go somebody did this little um i don't know gif of um one uh, of that except it was disney skyliners (laughs) <laughs> and, and so, so, so that was that was yeah. cute, and, um, and then somebody I guess was I, I they, they sell Disney Skyliner Christmas ornaments, which mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have to get one when I'm back there next year. Um, they, uh, they I, I guess they were on the shelf, and somebody lined them up so that they were all tipping and leaning on each other. Uh, yeah, I did see that photo. one. Yeah, and I thought, oh, that's cute. You know what? I, I don't want to. I don't want to be wrong on this one. But if if I know anything wrong with uh, if I know anything wrong with with Disney and how merchandise run right now, I can guarantee that at some point in time, uh, in the very near future, that you're going to end up seeing those ornaments over at Disneyland in your coast, even though they have absolutely nothing to do with with Disneyland at all. But oh. it just, it, it feels right. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, of course, I was watching with great interest in California that, you know, well, on windy days, we turn off the power in our state, whereas the other 49 states... They they have worse weather than we do, and they can manage to keep their electricity running. On windy days, we cannot. So um, yeah, that, enough of that. <laughs> yeah, that all all confused me so much. I mean, it's something that I 
just wasn't really aware of that ever happened or anything and dominated the news there for a couple of days. Oh, it did. But um, it, it, I can't really comment on it without, you know, getting into the whole political thing <laughs> behind it and and the false outrage that our um, now our legislators are are claiming to have, even though they've been paid off by our utility company for decades. So anyway, hey, but, we're uh, reading you loud and clear. We know your stance. <laughs> Yes. All right. So anyway, so that's about it. So otherwise, um, beginning with this episode, I'm going to talk about my experiences on the Dreams Unlimited Travel exclusive Adventures by Disney London in Paris tour. And this adventure is different from the standard London in Paris adventure because Disneyland Paris was included in this trip. Uh, normally, guests have to pay for this as an add-on. And Kevin Close of Dreams Limited Travel also um, will arrange for a few surprises and upgrades with the Dreams Unlimited exclusive tours, and this tour was no exception. And you know, we'll get into that as we go along. And there were there were cute things like we had they they oh they had designed a um a, a tote bag. That was for us. And it was a Dreams Unlimited tote bag that was, and they had on, you know, embroidered on it, you know, London, Paris, you know, Adventures by Disney, London, Paris, um, you know, trip. Oh, and so that was, nice. that was, yeah, that was nice. It was a nice little thing to have. Um, for those of us who f- completed seeing all of the Disney parks with this trip, we had, they gave us special pins, um, you know, that was, that were made by, um, yeah, John had arranged to be made. He'd given them out to folks where, when the ch- Asian parks were the final ones, but for me, it was um, it was uh, it was the Paris parks, and and there, and there were a couple other people. It was the Paris parks too. So he gave out this pin. So that was nice. I figured it'd be mostly people who haven't been to Disneyland yet and done the backstage magic. So <laughs> save that for last. Do everything it, it else was- first. It, it was interesting on this trip because uh, it was not – there were a lot of people that had traveled with the Diz on, you know, on Adventures by Disney trips before. But there was a fair number of people f- who had not or for whom this – you know, this was their first Adventures by Disney trip or maybe it was their second. So, th- so there were a lot of um, new faces a lot of them were listeners to this show and at the other Diz shows, uh, so it was fun to meet them. But um, but yeah, they'd never been, you know, on a on hmm, a, excellent a, on a yeah. trip with the Diz before, so that was cool. So anyway, so uh, so you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna this week we're gonna talk about everything that leads up to Disneyland Paris because that's worth the whole show in itself. And also because you've been there, Craig, we, we, we're going to have a lot to compare and contrast and no. banter back and forth about. So yes, we actually do. We've, yeah. we've already done it <laughs> yeah. prior to recording, but uh, I know we will have a lot more to talk about on that. So um, first of all, so October 1st, I got on my flight on United Airlines to Heathrow. I flew out of San Francisco. And I first of all, I did uh, 
I Carol had found me a really good fare on I think it's called economy premium premium economy. Oh my gosh, that is the way to go. I, I can't afford the Polaris or you know the the, the pods and all mm-hmm, that. That's mm-hmm. out of my price range. But premium economy, dear lord, with the extra legroom you get. And you get the pillows and the blanket and noise-canceling headphones. You get some amenity packet that I haven't opened yet. Uh, on my return flight, um, the, the ones that aren't used, they, they recycle and they donate somewhere. I forget where. And uh, so I didn't even take my second one with me. But um, it, it was very nice. And you get a lot more food than you do in coach and, and better quality. But, you know, they call this the friendly skies. I got to tell you, I don't think one flight attendant cracked a smile on that whole flight. <laughs> it, it just it just seemed like the most harried group of folks. I think when I was getting off and I thanked someone, one of the flight attendants, like, cracked a smile. Yeah, well. and, and that was it. I thought, what is wrong with these people? That isn't my first time, my first experience on that airlines where people just didn't seem happy. So I, I don't know what's going on there. I, so, I never asked you, did you fly direct or did you have to connect somewhere? Direct, because yeah. I... Um, I went to San Francisco, and they have direct flights. Yeah, well, that's see, that's probably why the the flight attendants were probably very grumpy by the end of it. And you know, from from the red eyes that I've done overseas, it's you get you get either the one of two. You get the people who are like, "Oh yeah, you're going to stay up all night drinking. Let's let's go for it. Let's have fun." Or you get the other ones who are like, "I'm going to fill you up with as much wine as I can right now." So you will fall asleep and not bother me for the entire flight. Uh, well, it was. Um, the, oh yeah, you do get f- unlimited alcohol. <laughs> um, premium, not that I drank a lot and all that, but you get a lot of food. I, I was really full when I left because, and they were so funny because they would um, come out with their little carts, and it it was like. A Monty Python skit. It was this flurry of activity. So they're handing out stuff. And, of course, they're not saying a word. Or they just say, you know, here it is or whatever it is. And and all this stuff. And they're passing things out. And then it's your drinks and this and that. And then, and then, it, then they're gone. <laughs> and then you don't see them for hours. And huh. then suddenly they're back with another rolling their carts again and all this activity and passing things out when when it was sandwich time i swear they just tossed the sandwiches to us like footballs they there were these little round on these little round rolls yeah and and then they were gone again and then it was oh my gosh it was hilarious (laughs) and all that and so it, it really did feel like a skit so um so it was it was like nine and a half hours i watched i had downloaded on my ipad pro um one of my very, very favorite films. And I told the folks um, about it on our trip. Well, a group of them that there was a, a group of us that um, that did a lot of activities together when we were on our own time. And I, this is a, I don't know if you've seen this film. Have you ever seen 84 Charing Cross Road? With Anne Bancroft and Anthony Hopkins. And it was like Judy Dench is like one of her first films. I know. It is a charming, charming Film and it's about a real woman, Helene um, Hampf, who uh, she was a screenwriter in the early days of television. So this is a period piece. It begins like in 1949, and I read the book that it was based on that she wrote, and I read the sequel to it as well. And it continues up until about 1970 or so, and it and 
it tells about her relationship she has with a little bookstore. She lives in New York, and it's about and she um she has an unusual taste in books. She likes classic English literature, and she likes um and a lot of it just wasn't available in the United States. So she was going through a literary magazine and saw an ad that Marks and Co, which was a real bookstore in London uh, had put into this magazine about how they have they, they have um, antiquarian books and all that and so she strikes up a relationship by mail with the folks in this bookstore as they find her her books over these decades and it's so charming and um now uh, now Anne Bancroft makes her makes Helene Hemp come off as much more charming than she does in her autobiography, where she comes off as a typical, um, stereotypical New Yorker, very opinionated, very full of herself, where I'm reading this thinking, why did anybody like her? But, um, but Anne Bancroft softened her up a bit. But it's just, it's a nice little film. It was a great introduction to go to London hmm. with. So I would say, you, you, since you, you like films, I think you would really like this. Yeah, I'll have to else track it down there. and check it out. Yeah, and they do a good job of um, of being in the periods as they move through the decades, both in New York and in London. So, good, good. So it's it's great. Yeah, yeah. And you learn a lot about literature along the way, too. Wait, <laughs> it's always good, always for the yeah. better of people out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then when I landed, of course, the time I landed, it was October second, and um, and so I met up with um, my travel mate Rob. I traveled with him in China, and he, I guess, he put up with me enough that we could travel again together on this trip. This and this is a bittersweet trip for me because this was a, before Carol got sick. She and I had planned to do. Um, an Adventures by Disney trip to London and Paris. And in fact, on the very first Diz cruise, they had arranged for um, a presentation on Adventures by Disney. And the 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 young fellow that ta- that did the presentation, he was talking about like he he was the guide for the London and Paris Adventures by Disney. But it was called Nights and Lights, I think, at that time. And and so we talked to him very seriously about it and, and some of the other stuff that we wanted to see. And he said, send me an email and I'll, uh, I'll help you with some of the on-your-own stuff and all that. He was great. And then Carol became ill. And so we had to put the trip off. We thought this would be our trip for our 30th wedding anniversary. And, of course, she passed away in March, so that never came to be. But even when we realized she was never going to make the trip, even if – she were alive um you know because there's no you know there's no you know americans a disability act is not in um in europe and even like kevin close you know because he uses a scooter to get around on on some of the longer you know um you know walks um there was even some challenges because like there was never a restroom on the same floor of wherever we were at. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these places, they didn't have um, elevators and all that, which made it a challenge. So, it, and co- there's cobblestone and all that. So, so it wouldn't have worked for Carol anyway. So she had told me 
because she knew my bucket list item, one of them was seeing all the parks. She said go. And so that's a sort of late in the game. Um, Rob and I became um, travel mates again on this. So, so many thanks to Rob for putting up with me again. And it made it affordable for both of us to be able to do it. So we met up there at Heathrow, and then uh, we la- I landed, took an Uber, and we got there, you know, before the trip, which is the adventure, which is supposed to start on October 4th. So we checked into the Royal Garden Hotel in the Kensington area, and I booked it using DVC points, so which was really nice to be able to do that. Now that yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. So it definitely helped with the cost. Um, Royal Garden had a, a wonderful English breakfast that came with our room and a continental buffet. Um, I love English breakfasts. So, um, you know, with the, you know, you have your eggs and you have the, the bacon and Cumberland sausage and beans, mushrooms and tomatoes and the, and the beans yep. and all that and toast and I want I want one of those toast holders, you know. Yeah. You put the, I have to look those up on Amazon. And um, and it's very much. Um, oh, and then there was a whole continental buffet also that we could use. So it had all the fruits and cheeses and meats and cereals and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I never. I've obviously I still haven't been to to London or England yet, so I can't I can't say how good it is but all the brits that i'm friends with when when they would live over here for months and months uh, i swear all they did was complain about we can't wait to get home and get a proper english breakfast and like okay i get it you, you oh, love your I, english breakfast <laughs> i order the items there's a there's a place in new york that imports everything you'd possibly want and i order from them so, including like frozen, you know, pies, meat pies, and yeah, yeah, and stuff like that. So, anyway, so they need to discover. I can't think of the name of it right now, but somewhere on my Facebook page, there's a photo of one of my cats in their box, peeking out. <laughs> so, and you can see the name <laughs> of it on there. So, um, anyway, this is very much a business hotel. I, I mean, you could just tell it had that feel. It was a businessman's hotel, a business person's hotel. I love towel warmers. I want towel warmers in in, my, in our master bathroom here, so um, at home, because those were great. They had this is the only hotel that had them. Um, then afterwards, we hit the ground running. We took a walk through Kensington Gardens. It is the gardens are beautiful. I mean, people they're just rolling, rolling lawns with, you know, trees and there's everything. There's football fields, which we call soccer here. And it's, the garden is used. I mean, everybody running around with their dogs, most well-behaved dogs I've ever met in any city. And um, it was, it was just nice. And it's just a nice strolling around, you know, large park. Um, Mm -hmm. We went by Mm -hmm. Royal Albert Hall. Oh my gosh, it's huge. And it's beautiful. And so, of course, the um, statue to, um, you know, Victoria's husband, Albert, Prince Albert, was there, which is quite grand. It was being worked on at the time. Mm-hmm. So we saw the Queen's Royal Guard rehearse on their horses. And as they were practicing their, um, I don't know, their ceremonial routines. Oh, my goodness. It was amazing what they got those horses to do and how, like, they would do these things. They'd put their swords down and then um, they'd have swords up 
and then another team would have their swords down and the, and the horses would run through them and jump up over the swords and do all this stuff everything in unison it was very impressive and I if, if it's on my Facebook page the Connecting with Walt Facebook page I have a video of some of that and all that so anyway and we'd see them again in a few days too at Buckingham Palace um, we then we walked uh, to Harrods that de- the department store the famous department store and we had high tea there because everybody talked about high tea at Harris and I'm all about high tea. Um I love high tea. And we found it disappointing. Um I just thought it wasn't the quality of the high tea was okay, but it didn't live up to the hype. Their um scones were not good. I I didn't care for the way they make their scones. But this is our introduction to European service in that it is slow and we uh, there seemed to be a, a, a I don't know a, a, a veil of invisibility descended on us in that th- they just totally would look through us and past us the whole time our little corner so hmm. the high tea that I thought might take an hour and a half took significantly longer only because trying to get our check and then paying it took like 45 minutes yeah yeah, yeah that's always tough trying to get the check unless you you kind of stand up and, and really demand it and be pushy if they come past you a couple times and don't have it but yeah the only thing i heard about harrods so far from anyone on that trip was pete who announced that he had one of the best 300 dollars steaks at their 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 mall not cafeteria i forget how he described it but it and doesn't matter what a, they have a food market there, yes that's it which is impressive yeah. i don't know who would buy food there but a lot of people were it was rather well, pricey it was pete and <laughs> he bought a 300 dollars <laughs> steak there oh my so, goodness yeah. i would hope it would be the very best steak yeah it was uh it, i always screw it up but it was the you know the uh japanese wagyu beef so oh, okay you know, technically warranted a price, not not what I would ever pay for a steak at a at a, at a giant luxurious store. But hey, it's I don't I don't have beat money. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the food market was fun to walk through, and um, you know, I I, I liked Harrods. Um, yeah, they had a nice little Christmas shop. I saw that store is amazing. I mean, they have anything you'd ever want, and and a whole lot. I can't imagine anybody would want. Uh, I mean, I was fascinated by the high end um, fountain pens, and and this stuff, and um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so anyway, yeah. So we just, I got lost so many times because it just goes on and on and on, and there's sections behind sections, and and whatever floor you're on, the washroom is not on that floor. Or toilets, as they call them, and and the men's and the women's toilets are never on the same floor, and so which is really wonderful when you're traveling in a group, you know, because if people need to go to the rep toilet, you're moving between floors all the time, yeah. And so, um, but no, literally, I would get lost. Somebody would say when I'm meeting up with somebody, they would say, "Oh, I'm in such and such a department," and I said, "I knew I saw that department, but I didn't know how to get back to it." So I would just invariably say, "This is where I am. You come to me." 
<laughs> so it was it was wild. And I shouldn't have done that story, though, on the day I landed, because I've been up over 24 hours. And I think I would have enjoyed it more had I um, saw it, like, on day two. Something. I never had time to get back to it. So, um, anyway. But um, I did meet up, uh, remember, uh, David Younger, the author of, you know, the, uh, Theme Park Design we had on the show. I did meet up with him and, and his lovely wife. They made a special trip down to London. And all he had, to, he made, he turned it into a business trip. He had to do business. <laughs> but we had a nice time. Good. I had my first experience with it with a British McDonald's, English McDonald's. Oh. After we chatted for a while, we... Um, we, they needed to get a bite to eat before they moved on. So What'd you get? Oh, I didn't get anything because I was still oh. full from the tea. Oh, you, so. you should have made room for it. So I, I went to uh, McDonald's an embarrassing amount of times in Italy. <laughs> hmm. It's it was just I only I never got anything unique that was American. However, uh, it was the same thing around the entire country. The only couple uh, unique things like uh, chicken wings and other stuff and. It was garbage. I don't know why I did it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but um, yes, that was it. And then, you know, we went back to the hotel and I, and we wandered around Harrods a little more, but I was just beat. And I mean, the jet lag was just catching up. I think I really learned what jet lag was on this trip. And um, so the next day, October 3rd, we wandered Kensington Gardens again, and you know after we had our breakfast, and then went to um, we had tickets we'd purchased in advance. Um, <coughs> excuse me, to tour Kensington Palace, and of course, you know along the way we chatted with some of the dog owners. We played with dogs, you know, because they brought their balls to us and all that. So it was fun. We chatted with a very nice Irish lady. And who told us all about her family and living in London and all that kind of stuff. And uh, anyway, and then, of course, Kensington Palace is where um, Princess William and Harry were raised. It it was the official residence of um, Princess Diana. And it has been a royal residence since the 17th century. It's currently the official residence of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, who are better known to us as Prince William and his wife, Catherine Middleton. And we saw, when we were there, we saw a helicopter landing, and we were told they were picking up the Duke for his mm. you know, work day. So that was neat. Excellent. We saw, we saw plenty of armed guards with you know machine guns <laughs> and all that wandering around, so... So we figure they were in residence. So they have public tours of the staterooms and also what I think at one time had been the servants' quarters. And there's currently an exhibition celebrating the 200th anniversary of Queen Victoria's coronation, including her jewels and all that. And it, it was really... First, it, it, it's, a, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous palace. And I, again, I posted a whole lot of painting, a, a whole lot of it on um, Facebook and all that and um what one of the things is that is um they had like you know this all goes back to you know William the 1st and all that they had some of the clothes back from that era i don't know how the women moved around the royalty moved around in some of these dresses cuz these dresses must have been 6 feet wide <laughs> and um, oh lord but, but they did and um so anyway so they they show a nice depiction of what life was like in there through the centuries. But again, with mm-hmm. these beautiful ceiling murals and, you know, gilded walls and beautiful 
you know, wooded panels and, and everything. But as part of Queen Victoria's, um, you know, the exhibition, you really learn. She really, I don't know how much of her life was all that happy. I mean, her childhood, she was very much kept isolated as being, you know, in preparation for the potential of being the queen. Um, they had a lot of her toys there, including a, a lovely dollhouse and all that that still had um, figures and all that in it, um, little dolls and everything. So they had a lot of her toys there. But um, they just talked about how, like, she never lived alone until she became queen. And um, and so th- that was interesting. And, and that was, like, one of the first things that she, when, when she was, you know, crowned, was that she... Um, dismissed the person that basically throughout her childhood had sort of kept her sort of you know a prisoner really in in this beautiful you know in a beautiful home just keeping her educated and and all that um and making sure she was never left alone uh, you know in preparation for you know ascending the throne and then she of course she fell madly in love with Albert, who I think he was from Germany, and um, and then he and then they had a number of children, and then he uh, and then he passed away, and she never recovered. She went into mourning, and then when she finally came back from it, and they and they, they showed some of her gowns and all that, and she was small. I mean, she was petite, and then and then you know, like all of us, she gained weight as she got older. But she never she continued to wear mourning clothes, which was very controversial. People didn't want to see their monarch in black. Now these were exquisite, you know, in black these clothes. I mean, because they, they were, you know, inlaid with jewels and, you know, had an ornamentation, all that, but it was all very low-keyed. And but and then um, she never wore the full crown again, because there's like this little dove, uh, like a widow's cap that she always wore, which also ticked people off at the time, because they didn't feel that they didn't want their monarch wearing something so simple. So she had some very nice elaborate ones. But then she had a special little crown made to fit on top of her widow's cap. It was like on a little bun on her head. And uh, so that's what she would wear instead of the, the you know, the traditional crowns that, that the monarchs wear at state occasions and everything. So And all those jewels were, were there. And Albert... Um, and, and Albert did everything for her, even though she was the queen. He designed her clothes. He decided what she should wear. He uh, designed her jewels. I mean, he doted on her, and she doted on him, and um, and they they you know doted on their children. So it, it was really sort of a sad story. And she was very well educated. She cared very much about the empire and wanted to learn about it and made a lot of changes and she really was queen at the height of the empire when i forget how much of the earth an astonishing amount of the earth was was under the british empire yeah during her reign and she managed to sort of keep it all going so i I was really happy to 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 go through there It, it was fascinating 
So we went to Victoria and Albert's Museum. We walked there. And Victoria, of course, had this built in memory of Albert. She just wanted to call it the Albert's Museum. But she was told no. She could not have a, the, the Albert Royal Museum. She, they said you could not have that name unless her name were attached to it. So her name had to be attached to a royal museum. So it was the, it's the Victoria and Albert's Museum. And it was founded in 1852 this is amazing you know this is where you really get a sense of of how long civilizations have been on earth because you know united states you know we're here 250 years so we're impressed when something is 150 years old this has exhibits covering uh, showcasing art of cultures all around the world for 5000 years it is remarkable what is in this museum and um you really have an appreciation like the the islamic um art section goes like thousands of years i mean you really Mm. have an appreciation for other civilizations and cultures i'm still stuck i didn't even put together uh i didn't even put together victorian alberts at all until right now yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yes, and, and they have, and they have, of course, their restaurant, the Grand yeah. Floridian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, just anyway. I'll be stuck on that yes, for a I, while. Perhaps longer. Albert was, a, <laughs> perhaps Albert was also a cook. <laughs> I don't know, but um, they, they, they and and they have things like they they've you know reconstructed basically a whole medieval church there from bits and pieces you know, uh, that they were able to get. And, and as uh, we, we took an introductory guided tour, and as the guide said, you know, as the British Empire grew, and they, ca- you know, came across these treasures, and then brought them back to display in the various museums, they, they were very bad about returning them. So that's why some museums in England have so much. You know they have they have returned some artifacts, but there's still a lot they're hanging on to. So, um, but th- one of the things I was most fascinated with too was the statuary hall. At one time, um, when people couldn't travel extensively, what museums did was they made casts of great statues and columns. And like like David, this Michelangelo's David, they, they would do those, and then they would have them on display in their museums, these copies, so that people would have an idea what they looked like, because they knew they were never going to get to these places. Well, um, it, as travel became more affordable to you know the middle class and all that, these 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 you know, fell out of fashion. So a lot of museums destroyed theirs. But Victorian Alberts kept theirs. And it is, I had no idea the Statue of David was so huge. And anyway, they have, there's rooms of of copies of all of these items around the world. And now the interesting thing is, when we were there, they were restoring a couple of things. Now, because either in wars some of these items have been destroyed or due to um, like acid rain or they've been damaged and now they're in the process of being restored. Nobody knows what they looked like back in the 1800s when they were pristine. So now 
archaeologists and, and, and restorationists, if that's a word, are coming now to this museum to look at these copies to see what did these items originally look like in the 1800s, so now we know how to restore them. So isn't that, isn't that interesting? Oh, yeah. No, that's wildly fascinating. So yeah, yeah. It's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah, so it's a it's a fascinating museum and and again if when I, if or when I go back to England um I'm going back and spending a whole lot more time here. But we had to leave in order to go to a high tea I had set up. Um Fortnum and Mason high tea because I heard from Kristen on the Nostalgia podcast. Um that she had told me this was the best high tea on the face of the planet. And she said we had to go there. And these, of course, are the tea purveyors to the queen. We went there and, you know, now that's... I went there with high expectations, especially after Herod's. My expectations were met in every way. Good. They were were ready for us. The tea was excellent. The service was very good. We had a great time. Um, It's part of a larger shop. And I, I went to their uh, to their Christmas shop, and I and they even have little tea ornaments, like a little teapot and a little teacup. I bought one that is basically a high tea service because it was the only one that had the um, the design uh, uh, that was on our teacups and our teapot and all that but it has all the little goodies on it and two teacups and you know a, a teapot on a on a silver tray so that was the ornament i bought there and um and so i i definitely recommend fortnum and mason they were very easy to work with in arranging a group and they were terrific and then um and then we had you know dinner um I don't even remember where we had dinner, but then we went to um, we had uh, we went to um, Gordon's Wine Bar. Um, Kevin, who goes on a lot of adventures by Disney with he and his wife and his family, um, Kevin was like our for our on our own um, planning because we did we would have Skype meetings for for anybody on the on the you know in the tour who was interested. They, they wanted to become part of our group are on your own group they, they could so we had a pretty decent sized group that we planned a lot of on our own stuff together and one of the things that kevin found was gordon's wine bar it was london's oldest wine bar established in 1890 and we went there there was a line out the door and this was it's in a basement of a very well-known hotel that like rudyard kipling would frequent and all that. I mean, and there's a whole story to this. It was wall-to-wall people. There are posters and things everywhere. It had the dust, every piece of dust that it managed to find its way into the darkness since 1890 was still there. And um, you really felt you were in, in history, but it was crowded. And then as we're trying to sort of work our way through the the, the menu and the regulars, you know, it took us a little while to walk, you know, get through the wine menu and order and all that kind of stuff and then find a place to stand. And then um, there are seats, but there, there are none available. And then 
we heard somebody ask, what, what is the hang up? And another person said, the Americans are here. And they said, oh. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm relatively close to Kevin. And, you know, it's, uh, it, he, they operate on a complete different level and uh, very similar to what you just said there. It's, uh, he and his wife were in Italy with us and, you know they they did a lot of the same thing planning for the group on on the hot spots to go to so it's you know you might be the americans invading but you know that you're getting a very unique experience by oh, yeah. tagging along yeah they they were very generous with their time in planning these things I mean, it was very nice of them and you're right the, and kevin knows how to work trip advisor like no one i know <laughs> so anyway, so October fourth, we transferred to the Landmark Hotel for the start of our Adventures by Disney tour, and a bunch of us. You would love to. I don't know. Maybe you've been here. I don't know if you've been here, Craig. We went to the Harry Potter um, Warner Brothers Studio tour. Yep. Um, one day, one day when I finally make it to England, I can't believe I've been to you know three, four other countries in Europe. But I mean, I've been to France. Italy, Croatia, um, uh, Czech Republic, Austria, and Germany, but I can't get to London in England for some reason. Um, well, this was amazing. Now, I'm, I've am i read all the Harry Potter books more than once. I've seen the films more than once. I'm not an Uber fan, but I like, I like them. I think they're great. I think they are probably going to, to last for generations. I, I, I think they're that well done, both the books and the films. And this was amazing. Even if you're even if you barely know who Harry Potter is, I think you'd find this interesting because just to see how the films were made, what was real and what was done through the magic of computer graphics or through audio animatronics. Uh, did you know that part of the time Hagrid was an audio animatronic? I, I, I think mean, I've heard that before, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought, oh my gosh. I mean, but you see the sets, you saw the Great Hall and how much of it was real and a good deal was. But like, of course, the whole roof was done through the magic of, of CG. Uh, but you, you, you hear of how at first they tried to do the floating candles real. But they kept um, they kept burning through the wires that, that, that were suspended. <laughs> so then they had to do CG of the wires. But um, you know they had a floating staircase there, and you learned how they made that work, and how the um, you know, and and then how they had it so that the uh, the you know the talking portraits, how those worked, and. But you know they had. Remember in the one was it the third one? You know with the with the you know how the clock was central. The clock in the um, in Hogwarts was central to that one. I think was that the time one where Hermione kept playing around the time. Mm-hmm. And well, they had that was that was huge. It was real. They had it there ticking away. The big giant Hogwarts clock. They had um, Gringotts was com- was there. The whole Gringotts bank set. And that was amazing, the detail of it. First, the, what it looked like in, in its, as it was pristine, and then the set after it was destroyed when the dragon escaped or was let loose. 
And, um, you know, they showed the vaults below Green Gots, how that was built. Um, they even have some of the houses, like the house on Privet Lane, um, you know, was there. The house where Harry's parents were killed in was there. They had the Knight's Bus. Um, but, oh my gosh, this place, I, I was the last one out of our group. They were all waiting for me. And, but... So you go through all this, and, you know, you see they have, of course, the dorm rooms set up. They have the common, Gryffindor common rooms set up there, and all that they'd used for filming. They have tons of costumes. They they show how they, you know, did the snake, you know, um, that, you know, that is in one of the films, the big giant snake. I mean, it was amazing. But then, at the end, as you think you're done... You walk out, and there is the model of Hogwarts that they had made and added on to as time went on. It's enormous. It takes up this enormous room, this whole castle. And then they would dim the lights so you could see what it looked like at night. And then they talked about, and then they would. They had this one video where they showed how they combined live action with CG action and the um, model to create a scene. And so for instance, they showed, I forget what her name was, but she was, she was one of the cohorts, one of the sort of the B characters in the film that was on the, you know, in the battle of Gryffindor and all that. She was mm-hmm. on the side of Harry and his group. And I can't remember her name, but she was, she was, in, she, she's in the books and all that. She's a popular girl. I think Harry had a crush on her for just a little while. And then, um, Cho Chang. but they show her like, no, because she was she was uh, she was black. I would say African American, but she was black. Oh, she was um, it'll come to me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but but she's in a lot of the films. Anyway, they show her like waving her wand, like doing a battle kind of thing. Then they show her. Um, they do another close up where through CG and all that, she's like on the battlement, or she's on a. Uh, you know, outcropping of the castle. And then they show th- how then they inserted that into the model of Hogwarts Castle. So it looks like she's fighting something, you know, standing on one of the parapets of like Hogwarts. But they had to go through all these different layers to create that. They did the same thing where it showed Harry walking in the snow in front of Hogwarts Castle. Well, he's basically walking on a conveyor belt. And then they um, superimpose that scene into one where there's a little snow around him. And then they superimpose that into a larger scene where there's more snow in the field, the trees and all that. And then that's superimposed into the model that's been covered in snow. So, um, anyway, yeah, just that's awesome. fascinating. You would love this. Absolutely love yeah, this. I'm, it's one of the reasons why I most want to get to, to England is for the, the Harry Potter tour, of course, as mm-hmm. of spending pretty much, well, not pretty much, literally all of my entire career at Universal between uh, Hogwarts and then Dragon Challenge, so... From the very start, I was in the Wizarding World, so it's mm-hmm. obviously a pilgrimage that I want to make at some point. Yeah, yeah. 
So, and then um, we had our, then we, we returned back to London and we had our welcome dinner with, um, and of course we had a special guest, Sherlock Holmes showed up and we helped him um, crack a case. Uh, Kate was, was the, was the one that helped him primarily. She was it was a murder sponsor. mystery? Um, no, it was, it was uh, one of the crown jewels had been stolen. Oh, okay. See, I was, I was hoping it would have been a murder mystery and that Moriarty was behind it all along and what everyone thought was going to be just a small little fun gag ended up turning into a two-hour affair oh no <laughs> no i don't think anybody could have taken two hours of it but um no, but i think moriarty was behind the <laughs> stealing of the crown jewels good good so and of course that's where we met our guides janae and stephanie they were wonderful um Janae is, is one of the last of the original guides when Adventures by Disney started in 2006. And and then um, and Stephanie is fr- uh, French Norman. So um, and so she's a guide there. And she also works at Disneyland Paris. So um, anyways, they were both terrific. Um, a high energy. Janae would always start the day with a fun fact. Or a happy thought. Happy thought is some. Most of them were surrounded. Has something to do with cows or something. Although she did get off of that alpha cows after a while. So um, anyway, so it it was fun. So um, uh, October fifth, we met our London guide. I think his name was Stephen. You know, our step on guide, and he was great. He, I don't think he ever took a breath. The whole time. He always had stories to tell. He was fabulous. Um, we went to the Tower of London on that day, and it had been a royal residence, an armory, a treasury, a royal mint. It was a zoo, uh, a prison, of course, and is the home of the crown jewels of England. And, you know, people always think of all the executions and all that there. Um, only seven people were executed in the Tower, which surprised me. Uh, most of them were, most of them had to do with Henry VIII, it seemed. So, um, who was quite bloodthirsty. I think one of our guides told us that he signed, during his reign, he signed five executions a day. That's what it averaged out to. Yeah, it's not that much, you know. but we got a private showing of the crown jewels of england and you know and and the way it works is for the for the rabble you go first of all there's a huge line you go in there's conveyor belts that you stand on and they whisk you by the crown jewels so now you can walk around and get back on again but those were not running for us we could stand there now we did have a time frame because they wanted us out by the time the public got in. But we were able to stand there and look at them and examine them and walk around, and there's a lot, and walk around them. And um, as, as our guides told us about their history, and I mean, so you don't get those opportunities very often. So um, Yeah, and I, I would assume that, you know, if, if there was an option to have that on your own, that you're probably talking a ridiculous amount of money for a, for a special private tour or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So th- that was one of the advantages of, of this tour was being able to see those. And, and they were amazing. Couldn't take any photos. So um, 
and then and then you know we could wander around our own. So I went like into the bloody tower because that's where the the mystery of um, the two little princes who disappeared, and then King Richard ascended the throne because one of the little princes was supposed to ascend the throne. And then years later, um, two little bodies were found. Bones of two little bodies are found that they assume to be the princes, and they're interred in Westminster Abbey. So, um, I, of course, I, I had to go there because one of my ancestors met her end in the Tower of London. Um, probably one of the more infamous ones. Anne Boleyn is actually one of my ancestors. Mm, wow. And so, uh, so I took a photo of... Um, they, they don't exactly know where she perished, met her end, but um, there, there was a little, er, little section where they had a commemoration of them all. So um, anyway, we walked by Buckingham Palace. The Queen was not in residence, and you can tell that because of... It, it, it's um, The Union Jack basically is flying when um, she's not there. And when she is there, it's her royal standard is flying. So anyway, we took photos. We saw the Queen's guard arrive on horseback. Um, as we did... As, um, Janae and Stephanie took individual photos of us, or, you know, photos of the group. You know, I was always by myself, and photos, although Pete took a photo with me here. Um, but then Janae and Stephanie took a photo with me. And then, within a day or so, a funny story came back to me. Stephanie's, you know, it, I, it, I posted it on Facebook, and Stephanie's spouse has a friend named Nate, who is I think he's in Army Special Forces or something like that. Something like that. And he is a listener to this show. And Nate oh, wow. told Stephanie's spouse, who told... I'm sorry, it's Janae's spouse. I keep saying Stephanie. It's Janae's spouse. And he, told, he saw the photo, contacted... Stephanie's spouse, who then uh, Janae's spouse, who then contacted Janae, say, "Oh my gosh, you're with Michael Bowling. He's he's like a celebrity. That's my very favorite podcast." And Janae just thought that was a hoot, and shared that's that great. With me. Isn't yeah. that great? So that's I want awesome. to give a shout out to Nate. Thank you for your service, and thank you for listening to Connecting as well, being a part of our family. So, um, anyway, um, we went to Westminster Abbey after... Oh, we saw the Queen's Guard that I'd seen rehearse a little while back. They arrived on horseback. Um, Westminster Abbey, what an amazing place. Of course, you know, that's where poets and kings and artists and philosophers are all buried. And they use every square inch of space they can to... um, bury people there. Uh, probably one of the most ornate burial places is uh, Queen Elizabeth I. She's there. Her sister Mary is beneath her, <laughs> literally under her, because she uh, didn't warrant her own spot. Because yeah, she, she had her little reign of terror. But So she didn't, um, she didn't warrant her own spot there. But um, this, Westminster Abbey is just breathtaking. It's just so beautiful. And you you are, there, there's just histories all around you there. And it's interesting yeah. to see the little inscriptions and the commemorations and and, and all that there. So, um, Good stuff. You know, I saw Stephen Hawking's resting place. Hmm. 
So and all wow. That. So um, yeah. So so it was cool. The two little princes that met their untimely end, mysterious end. They think they were smothered. They're buried in the same area as Queen Elizabeth the first, um, and all that. So um, anyway. So and but the outsides of these buildings, they're amazing with the carved statues and. Uh, I mean, every every piece of it is 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 designs and is ornate and everything. We had lunch at the Red Lion Pub. I had fish and chips, and although David told me, David and Sophie told me that you don't have in order to have authentic fish and chips, you must have them at the seaside. But this is as authentic as I got. It's, they were, it's fun. They were quite good. Yeah, you know, and uh, you, you had to pick a time to be a stereotype, and, and you did. And it might not have been the most perfect one, but you picked the right time for you. Well, I was in a pub. I, I did have a lager, and it came with mushy peas, the mm. fish and chips, which you have to have with fish and yeah. chips. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. And then we did this. We went on a boat cruise on the River Thames. And this was like no ordinary boat cruise. I mean, you're all bundled up. They give you a special coat. Sort of like, you know, made mist, Niagara Falls. You have this, you're all, they bundle you up. They give you the life vest and all this stuff. And um, you start out just fine. And they point out everything. And we, you know, we'd seen the Tower Bridge. Um, go up and down a couple of times during the course of this trip which was which is cool to see and then then it becomes a high speed trip and they play like the James Bond music every every boat played some different music our guy was mainly in the James Bond and uh, and he did play I'm walking on sunshine and and um <laughs> so different yeah i know and uh, oh and Wow, we were bouncing. We were like going on our side. I thought we were going to take on water. I did, and and we're everybody's just laughing. Stephanie's trying to get. Uh, no, it was Janae was on with us. She's trying to get photos of us, and oh my gosh, she's laughing her head off. It was it was great. It was so much fun. It was cold, but it was so much fun. So, um, so if you have an opportunity to do that, do it. Because first they take you on the stately tour, you know, pointing out the different skyscrapers and, you know, the Tower of London and other historic places. And then you zoom off. And it is great. So um, then afterwards, we had dinner on our own and Kevin had arranged this lost in place. I think that's how I say lost in place. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. This was a. I posted photos of this meal uh, on my Facebook page. This was one of those. It was an eight course. It was a tasting menu, so which means you know little little bits of food. You know, I mean, but everything was so artistic in these eight courses. These are little works of art, and we did it with wine pairing. And uh, first of all, Matteo, our server, I got his whole life story. And he was charming, and I, I we loosened him up a bit, where I think at first um, he, was, he was trying to be all proper and all that, and then I start asking questions, and we start joking with him. And then he relaxed, and I think he had a good time. Our sommelier was also very young, Um she, I think she tried to stay a little more proper, but then I, I don't remember her name, but then she loosened up with us as well. But then they kept adding courses 
as little surprises. Like they added snacks. Well, these snacks took one and a half hours. By the end, we realized when I think it was Rob or somebody told us it's midnight, we realized we had eaten for five hours. This was a five-hour meal. Yeah, well, that's a record. You beat me. <laughs> it, it is. But it didn't seem like five hours because we had such a good time. The food was so beautiful mm. and so delicious. Now, some of it you could eat in just a few bites, but it was just enough. I mean, it, it was absolutely yeah. wonderful. You know, it wasn't inexpensive, but, you know, it... It you know it it wasn't a three hundred dollars steak though, but yeah. <laughs> it was it was impeccable. Um, again, go on my Facebook page and see some of this. Uh, how creative it was! Like one was uh, one one of the first ones. It was like it was the food was in a little flower pot. And with a little a smaller flower pot inside, and all the little fruits and vegetables are all cut up to be, look like tiny little fruits and vegetables and then there's like a fireplace log and it was a really like a i don't know it was a, like a pretzely kind of thing with some sort of chive cheese thing in it and it's it looks like it's on um it looks like it's a, you know resting on a fireplace you know log holder um the uh, one um one dish, the side came in a little shopping cart that was holding like what looked like sort of like um the crispy potatoes. And so then what we did is we um, put all our shopping carts together like you'd see them at Target or Publix on the table. Um, <laughs> I mean, oh gosh, it, it was, was just, it was wonderful. Just wonderful. Yeah. On October 6th, the next day, you know, very few of us are looking forward to this. It was archery at the Beaumont Estate. And um, I thought, oh, great, archery. We had so much fun. First of all, this estate is gorgeous. It looks like it's, uh, I don't know if it's a bed and breakfast or if it's a hotel, but people were definitely staying there. And our two, the two archers, archery masters, they were hilarious. Uh, they were great. And this was just so much fun. We broke up into teams. They gave us lessons, told us how to use the bows. And I learned that I, I, I'm i ambidextrous in that I, I move back and forth between my right and left hand. I always – because I was born left-handed – and but that's in the days when like you may have had a parent who forced you to be right-handed that's what my father did and then when i got into school the the sisters said, told my father we don't think he's right-handed and then my father says use whatever hand you want well i'd already learned how to write with my right hand but i switched back and forth um i learned i'm left i always thought i was right dominant i learned i'm left dominant so um, in doing mm, this, they yeah. worked with me and all that. They said, no, your left eye dominant. You know, I mean, the, your left side is dominant. And yeah, so- that's I oddly enough, I shoot um, I shoot pole and I shoot guns with left dominant. But uh-huh. then pretty much everything else is I mean, left handed and then everything else is pretty much right dominant. But just yeah. a couple random things that. I, I favor my left side, and I didn't ever, like, I, it didn't even dawn on me. I'm just like, I I just do what feels natural. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I've, I switch back and forth with some things, so it's really weird. So, um, 
But anyway, so yeah, so we shot. We had a great time. I, I hit within the yellow a couple of times, but that was only a couple of times. They had this French grenadier way, way out there. And because um, we also had to shoot, then we shot like as if we were shooting with longbows, like in Game of Thrones, you know, where you 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 shoot up high in an angle in order to shoot mm-hmm, for distance. Mm-hmm. And we did that. And they had this French stuffed French grenadier out there. And Rob and Kate both hit him in the head. So we got so they got big points. My team oh. came in third. John Majai was on my team, and then another. Um, adventure on our team kathy who had just been on the london and paris trip six months ago and repeated it she um also was on it and um so yes yeah, so we came in third so i felt pretty good about that hmm, not good. that i contributed much to that <laughs> score but uh, anyway but um and then we went to windsor castle of course most people know that one. It's a royal residence. It's both a castle and a fortification. We did learn the difference between a castle and a fort on this. And um, and so we... Anyway, this is both. Um, we toured the staterooms. This is the largest inhabited castle in the world. And it's the longest occupied palace in Europe. And I always, I'd be fascinated to see how do they turn these rooms from a tourist attraction into suddenly they need to use them, you know, for a state affair. Because I think that mm-hmm. would be fascinating. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see like a time-lapse photo, yeah. you know, time-lapse yeah. kind of thing on that. So it was good. We sort of had to walk quickly through it. I would have liked to have lingered a little more. No, we were not allowed to take interior shots of it so um but again it's beautiful there's a a a shopping district uh there as well so um that you can go through and there there's there was one candy shop that um i think janae loved 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 so i got some bonbons which are not the bonbons that we know here in the u.s these are they're like um they're like fruit um jelly fruit bonbons kind of thing they're delicious Okay. I bought a bag okay. of those. So anyway, so that was it. And then dinner was at the Winter Garden Restaurant at the Landmark Hotel. So um, anyway, which was very good. October 7th, we got on the Eurostar and went under the channel to go to Paris. I thought there'd be a lot more fanfare. You know, when you entered the channel, like, uh, I don't know, that they'd say, you are now entering the channel. We didn't even really... You know, we'd gone through so many tunnels just to sort of on the way to the channel. We didn't really realize we were in the channel. So what you you're know? telling me is that Tom Cruise was not aboard your train and somehow got caught up in a escapade where a helicopter also flew in the channel and just everything went crazy. No, I I would... I had no idea the channel would be that large. It sure didn't seem like it. <laughs> Maybe it is. No, no, but they served food. And, you know, we'd been warned, oh, the food's terrible. You should get something. So we'd gotten, you know, in advance. So we'd gone to, um, um, oh, gosh, uh, oh, Mar- M&S, I think is the name of it, Marks and Spencer's, something, I don't know, at H&M, whatever it is. And, um gotten sandwiches and stuff and we ended up not eating them the food was it was basically like uh, fancy airline food it was fine yeah i learned that from my my singular uh long train ride when i even though it wasn't long from uh from it, 
Seattle to Vancouver that train food's not for not for really enjoying. It's for nourishment, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. So we met our local guide, Valerie. Our step on guide there, and she she was fine. Uh, she wasn't as talkative as Stephen was. So Stephen, who you know filled in every moment, um, Valerie did not. But but when she spoke, it was it, she it was interesting. Um, we did a walking tour of Montmartre, Montmartre, <laughs> however they say it, on the right bank. This is the area where many famous artists gathered, um, including like Renoir, Picasso, Lautrec, Van Gogh. And, and others and they would work there get drunk there it seemed like it was a lot of getting drunk there and um, so a lot of interesting little narrow streets interesting shops there uh, there were a lot of vendors there selling things including artwork apparently this is the place where you to get your portrait done so when you could either get a very nice portrait done or a caricature done. And what was sad to yeah. me was it seems like the caricaturists had longer lines and the people that I, were doing really, really nice work. <laughs> I was about to joke with you. And, I'm like, and I know, Michael, you chose to get your caricature done. No, so you want to get no. a picture of you driving a little doom buggy? <laughs> yes, through the streets of Paris. Yeah. No, um... Uh, anyway, no, I did not get anything done. I felt like I wanted to buy art, but I did, and I saw something I liked. I thought I don't know how I'd get this home, but um, anyway, uh, we went to Sacre Coeur Basilica. There uh, some stunning views of Paris. We had to take a funicular up to it. Well, you could walk up the stairs. I did not. I chose the funicular, but only one was working at the time, so it took us quite a while to get up there. Um, this basilica is gorgeous. Of course, it's dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and it is where um, my uh, niece uh, was proposed to. So um, her wedding is in a couple of weeks. So it was fun for me to be there to see where where she said I do or I will said yes or we whatever. Yep. So anyway. I've heard absolutely amazing things about it. So yeah. you know, I it's as much as everyone is obsessed with uh, with Notre Dame, even though you know everything that's happened with that, and it's on its on its way back to being. Uh, being restored and such but every every one i've ever talked to about it says you know it's honestly it's sacra cua is is a must must experience Mm -hmm. yeah there's a couple of places i think are must experiences that are a little off the beaten path i think um then afterwards we did wine tasting at la bonne franquette or however you say it um and anyway, and that was fun. The the sommelier was so enthusiastic. He was third generation um, sommelier there that his family has owned it. I think he said his grandfather or his father, they were master sommeliers. And he talked about the history there, who what famous artists went there and what they painted there and what they, how they got drunk there. And, and then and I learned a lot about wine. Like here in the United States, we tend to regard wines by the type of grape they are. Where back there, they, they call wines by the region. Exactly. So yeah. for instance, here we'd say Chardonnay. There they would call it a Chablis. Yep. Yeah, and you know the 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 awful part of ours is that then it, once you really start learning wine, you know it's you you start 
having to to look at where the wine's actually produced and then you you start to develop uh, a, a better taste of it like you know it's some people only swear by cabernet that's that's from uh, from napa but you know i've i actually find that i really enjoy i enjoy a lot of sonoma ones that i've had and i love I love Pinot Noir from Oregon. Or, oh, gosh, I sound terrible there. Sorry, Oregon people. I don't know why I just dropped into Oregon. Someone said <laughs> it to me the other day, and I was like, it's not Oregon. Why would you say that? You sound ridiculous. But, yeah, no, it, 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 wine in in Europe is just completely different. It's like like you said, it's just it, all about that region first, and then, the, then it goes from there. Mm-hmm. So... And then we, um, yeah, so I, and I, I learned quite a bit and I'm getting to have a new appreciation for red wines. I tended to be a white wine person. Um, some of it was because I get headaches with red wine, but I'm learning with blended wines. I do not. And in, and of course in France, majority of the wines are blended. So, um, and they're not heavy the mm-hmm, way a mm-hmm. lot of red wines are. So, um, I really enjoyed red wine there i liked it so anyway we checked into our hotel which is the hilton paris opera hotel and we had dinner there after dinner kevin found uh, a little neighborhood wine bar and it's sort of weird i have i know i have a where's the little sign i know i have the sign for it. it was a weird name it was it the one that you posted about with the the a bunch of Famous artists also used to hang out there. No, that was that part? was the Le Bon. Okay. One. Okay. The, this little neighborhood one. It's funny. I was just looking at the picture earlier. Now I can't find it. I don't know what I did with it. It. Um, it anyway, it was. It, it, it was cute because we went there. It was small. I mean, they really had to hustle to find tables, and well, there were tables there, but to find the stools for, for enough for our party, but. Until they didn't start speaking English to us until Kevin selected the first bottle, and I think then they realized, oh, they know they know wine, or at least that Kevin knows wine, and then suddenly they're speaking English to us and all this, and we ordered some um, a, a cheese plate, which is very generous cheese plate um, to go with it, and. Um, Anyway, but I just thought it was so funny how they'd sort of, I don't know, didn't say much to us until whatever that bottle of wine was that Kevin ordered. And then all of a sudden, oh, they couldn't talk to us enough, you know? I I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I took a photo of the wine and and I posted it on Facebook, too. So, but I, I couldn't pronounce it. I don't know, Colt Roti, I don't know. I don't know how you say it. But anyway, and so we, we had a couple of bottles there uh, amongst us. I, I, I don't know how many, but it was nice. And then we, in order to, to get in a better location for Uber, we took a little stroll and we saw um, the rear of Notre Dame, you know, in the dark. And oh my gosh, even at night, because, you know, they're not lighting it up anymore. Uh, even at night, you could see the devastation of that poor cathedral you know um we would see it later on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the day but it was just it just broke your heart to see it october 8th we um we went to choco story paris to learn how to make chocolate bars 
and that was a lot of fun. And um, Sean of the Diz, he was quite good at it. And I guess Pete said that he does a uh, Sean does a lot of baking and all that, and it certainly showed in how he decorated his um, his chocolate bars and all that. And then they and we got the, ch- the you know we got to keep our chocolate bars, of course. And then they had a chocolate museum, um, and they had things like you know the. Arc de Triomphe in chocolate. They had the Eiffel Tower in chocolate. They had chocolate clothes. Um, it reminded me of the Lucy and you know the I Love Lucy episode where you know they make you know they they make the fashion gowns out of um, horse you know horse bags and um, and and cloth and all that stuff. I mean I don't know what you do on a hot day wearing these things. They had shoes made and purses made out of chocolate. Um, it was hilarious. And then works of art made out of chocolate. And then we got a free bag of chocolate. We could select um, what kind we wanted. I think I got the one from Vietnam, that chocolate. And then um, we took a, you know, we, we took a tour of Paris. And then we were dropped off near the Ar- Arc de Triomphe on the Champs Elysees. And then we um, could wander around. So wandered in and out of shops, met up with, you know, other, you know, hung out with some other folks on our trip. They, you know, they they wanted to go to Cartier, went in there. I feel I felt like such a fraud going into that store because there was no way I was buying anything there. And, of course, um, saw Louis Vuitton. I did not go in. There was a line. And I waited in the rain with folks. And Rob went off to a chocolatier. And I said, okay, I'll wait, but I'm not going to take up a spot of someone that is going in to buy. So I, I just people watched in the rain and all that while they did all that. And I went to the mm-hmm. Disney store. Yeah. It was very mm-hmm. pretty and uh, and nice and cute. Nothing special about it. They did have a, a, a stuffed, you know, a plush Mickey and Minnie in their Parisian outfits that uh, later on, I, uh, Becca and her husband were going by there again, and I asked them if they would get those for me. Because by then I had heard, <laughs> they probably don't have that at Disneyland Paris. So I said, okay, I want that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they didn't. <laughs> they had yeah. nothing, no plushes that even remotely would hint that they were from Paris, except maybe Remy. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I looked at your photos from inside the Disney store, and it, it seemed, it, while it seemed very massive compared to the ones I went to in Italy, the, the same style, like literally stuff you would see and expect from all the Disney stores in the States, and then just like a very small amount of items that actually represented the place that you were at. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was very disappointing. And uh, but it was pretty. It was two levels, like the one in San Francisco, and um, you know it was decorated with a Parisian theme somewhat. But anyway, but um, and then we we did an Eiffel Tower night tour. Oh my gosh, it is beautiful at night um, because as our day was sort of turned around, like Buckingham Palace. The we didn't see the changing of the guard and have the meet and greet. With the beef eater because they because the queen wasn't in residence, and then um, Eiffel Tower was supposed to do during the day, but they had arranged our guys had arranged for us to see it at night because it's so spectacular at night, and it was, and so it meant you know we didn't see the behind the scenes tour, we were supposed to see the engine room and all that, but you know seeing it at night it and then 
we and we got to go normally the tours only go to the second level we were the only tour that got to go to the summit and 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 see those yeah, beautiful very nice. views yeah. yeah so um anyway so that was great and um a lot of people um selling you know little mini eiffel towers for 1 euro I mean, like everywhere. So how much do those things cost to make? But also, we a lot of warnings about pickpockets in the area. I mean, there were signs everywhere. Our guides warned us. Um, so just something to be aware of when you're there. So, but that was that was just spectacular. A couple of folks exchanged rings up there. Either, um, um, gosh, is it Mike and Nikki? I think I can't remember. I think it was their nineteenth wedding anniversary. We had several anniversaries. Um, one couple, um, John and Alan, were celebrating their twenty-third wedding anniversary. Another couple, I think it was Mike and Nikki. They were celebrating their nineteenth um, uh, anniversary, and and then um, and then. Um, Chris and Sam, uh, I don't know, they exchanged commitment rings or something like that. So anyway, so there's, there's a lot of romance up there in the air and all that, which is very sweet. So um, anyway, but um, that seemed like the perfect place to celebrate. And of course, I kept thinking of the Tomorrowland movie the whole time I was up there. <laughs> See, I, I jumped to European vacation uh, in the scene that they have up there and and then every time I would watch that at home with my dad, it's not, it can't be that. It's just, it's not the right setting. It's not, everything's out of place. My, okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry that movies can't always be real life. <laughs> yeah. A couple of people did bring the, their Tomorrowland pins, you know, from the film. That they Clever. used to yeah. sell in the parks and all that. Oh, I wish I'd bought mine if I knew where it was. But um, anyway, so it it was great. It was it was wonderful. October 9th, we went to we went to I think what I had been told that this church was more glorious than Notre Dame. We went to Saint Chapelle, and it is in the middle of like the Justice Department building. And this place, it's desperately in need of restoration. I mean, the, the exterior is starting, the facade's starting to fall apart. They have nets up in some places that they have the gargoyles and the water spouts and all that. When you go in, the, it, the stained glass, now it's no longer a working cathedral, it's no longer consecrated, but it's or church, but oh my gosh. This is, um, the stained glass is amazing in here. Uh, when um, And what it was is the stained glass windows, you start at the right window and you go up and down from, I think, right to left. And through the images on the stained glass, it tells the whole story. It, it's, it's the whole Bible story, starting with Genesis. Yep. Yeah. All the way through. I mean... It's astonishing. So, um, yeah, this other the other location that I've heard just so many good things about. 
Yeah. And then like the carvings of the 12 apostles and uh, that are around there and, and everything is just, um, just amazing. And then after that, we went to um, Notre Dame Cathedral and to, to see, you know, basically it's now reduced to a photo opportunity. But um, I talked to Stephanie and also to Valerie, our guide, about what, what is going on with the cathedral. And I guess they're still in the cleanup and investigation stage. And that restoration, they're nowhere near beginning to restore. And the investigation is being kept very quiet. But Valerie told me that there have been hints that um, the official story that was given out is not what happened. That they have supposedly found evidence of, I forget what word she used, but it sounded like, um, she said like accelerants or something. Mm. Mm. And that, um, you know, and and everyone's thinking the... um, that this, that it's more than a coincidence now that this started on the first day of Holy Week for Catholics and Christians, but and that there were also other attacks on um, churches around the world hmm. that didn't get the, uh, you know, didn't get the news because Notre Dame was just so astonishing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they think that there's a little more to it, but that it might be at least five years. They're saying before. Um, details are released on the investigation. So, anyway. So, interesting. I don't know how much of that is true, but it's interesting. But this, the, it seemed like the general feeling was there's much more to the story right now. So, um, we then, we had lunch on our own, wandered. Again, there's the little narrow streets and all that around there. I just love it. We, so, we met our guide, Sid, um, at the Louvre. Our other guide who was with us for a couple of days. Of course, this is the world's largest art museum. It was originally built to be a castle and a fortress, and its foundations can be seen in the basement when it was. And what's interesting is you see on some of the um, bricks, you see like a little hearts um, carved into the bricks. And I thought, oh, well, maybe this was because back in the day, instead of carving your initials on a tree, you carved your, <laughs> your, your love on a stone in, in this fortification. And Sid said, no, that is how every worker or family, because the workers, the, you know, the families worked on this, you know, over generations, they all had their own symbol. And that's the way they measured their amount of work that they did so that they could be paid was that they carved their family symbol into the stones. And then if you look high enough after the hearts, there was a cross on the stones. And that was because then a different family took over working on that section. And so that, and so it was interesting. So that's how they got paid. And so um, anyway, so. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. In 1546, King Francis I converted it to a royal residence. And then when Versailles became the royal residence, the Louvre became the place to display the royal collection. And uh, again, uh, it's just amazing. This is where things like, um, you know, the winged victory is on display. There's so much, there's so many paintings that we know that are there. Of course, the painting is the Mona Lisa. That is there. And this was the first 
the time she was back in her room she that her room was being renovated and she had been moved to the Richelieu wing and it was very complicated to get to her and it was difficult and the room was small and crowded and all that and she is back in her own um back in her room again with the other pieces of art um you know but they it's like clockwork the way they have it set up Right for you to pass by and and see her and snap your little photo and move on, and you know, it's you know it's interesting. You know, it's a great portrait. I don't quite understand the excitement over this particular portrait, especially when I saw some of the others in in there. Is some of them in the same room, but. Um, but then, you know, Sid was talking about how some things are very unique to it that had never been done before, like the way the way her eyes were done. That that was groundbreaking, and and a few other things that that you know Michelangelo did that uh, had never yeah. been done before. Yeah. So I thought, okay, but um, you know, I don't know. It's I'm glad I saw it, and. Um, but I don't know. It's still, unless you really know a lot about the painting, you're wondering why is everyone so excited over this. So anyway, I don't, have you ever had an opportunity to see Mona Lisa? No, no, not yet. Yeah. So one day. So, I yeah, mean, well, you have to let me know when you do what you think. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. Hopefully, it'll be on the sooner side rather than later. But uh, yeah. of course, I'm very familiar with it from the da vinci code so uh, same thing oh, right that's true yeah actually <laughs> sid brought up the da vinci code yeah. or yeah the da vinci i don't say michelangelo but um anyway but um anyway but but we saw michelangelo's in there renoir's vermeer's uh i mean you know da vinci i, I mean it was it was just amazing so um Anyway, uh, so it's beautiful. Um, that evening again, a small group of us that um, Kevin had arranged for. We went to eat at Source Infini. It was excellent. Um, they have. I had the soup. I forget what kind it was. It was delicious. I had a great martini, and in this you know cut glass um, thing. But I had duck, which was fantastic. I had a small plate of ducks. Everything's either small plate or large plate, and then. I never eat veal just because I don't like how veal is raised. But I thought, I'm in Paris, I have to have some veal. I had a large plate of veal. Oh my gosh, it was delicious. So, oh, and then <laughs> I love veal. I I do feel terrible, but I will, uh, if it's a nice restaurant and veal's on the menu, I will not hesitate. Oh, yeah. Veal. See, it's it's like my only thing. I, I won't eat liver because I just don't like it. But veal, it's my only political thing, but yeah. I broke. I, I won't go to like fast. a dive restaurant and order it out mm-hmm. of uh, principle. Like, okay, it's it's probably really terrible for you here, and of course, you know, it's not humane per se. But if, if it's at like a you know a very fancy restaurant, then I'm gonna live a little, and because and that we, little cow didn't uh, get a chance to, yeah. <laughs> well, there's that's a way of looking at it. And then we had this dessert. It was this pastry that was um, many, many, many layers 
of pastry and and then it was all filled with cream and fruit and all this stuff it was huge and um it, I don't know if there's fruit. I think there was fruit in it. Anyway, it was delicious. Oh my gosh. French desserts are the best. Just the best. With all that cream and all that. So, anyway, um, October 10th, we went to Chateau de Versailles. Uh, you know, the whole time, everybody kept telling me, as I would comment on how opulent something was, like Christine or somebody would say, Oh, you haven't seen anything yet as when we got to Versailles. And even when we got to Versailles, as I went in, I I would say, oh my gosh. And then she'd say, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. First of all, this redefines opulence, Versailles. It is incredible. I mean, the gold, the, the, the carvings, the statuary, the, the paintings, the ceiling murals, the... Um, uh, uh, the the tapestries on the wall, and uh, I mean, it, it's just incredible. These huge chambers for the king and queen, and their their beds all covered with brocade and velvets and everything, and and then you, you, you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, I you know, I'm thinking, I I would have I would have been a benevolent, um, you know, monarch. I could have lived here. And then, <laughs> then you get to the Hall of Mirrors, which is astonishing. And you're thinking, why, you know, because the way that mirrors catch the light, and there's all these crystals in here, and then it's, you know, it's filled with statues, and the, the, um, I think it's the king's chambers are right off of it. And, um, and and everybody's thinking, okay, why is this so exciting? I guess mirrors, when it was built, had just become a thing. Nobody had mirrors. And so to have them in the palace was, again, it was opulent. It was something that only royalty would have, that the upper crust, you know, the, would have. And so this room is magnificent. I mean, even on an overcast day, it just glows. You know, it's amazing. Because, you know, the one one wall is nothing but, like, windows that open out into the gardens. And the other wall is the mirrors that are all reflecting the light yeah. that's coming in. I just don't so. think I ever thought about how mirrors kind of became a, a normal thing. Never really yeah. dawned on me. Yeah, and then the um, and then the gardens. Oh, then we had we had lunch at um, La Flotille and um, or Flotille, however you say it. Um, it was very good. We we you know it was on the on the banks, and um, I had salmon in this lemon meringue that was excellent for dessert there. So it was very nice. And then um, you then you had the choice of either doing a bike ride or a garden tour. I know a lot of the bike riders said they'd never do it again. Um, I, I did the walking tour of the garden. Of course, the garden's enormous, and it's only a small part of what it was at one time. But it's all these pools, these that go on in a canal, and um, just gorgeous garden statuaries. And the fountains were not on because they... Um, they 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 can only, they only turn them on on like Saturdays, 
Sundays for just a couple of hours in the morning and afternoon, and um, because of the cost of keeping them on. And I thought, and so on those days, the weekends, they, there's actually a separate admission charge for the gardens. But on the days they're not on, the gardens are included as part of the regular tour. Um, and then we, um, it, anyway, and it's interesting though. It's all done by gravity. You know, they have these pools and then the water would just run it. And it's through sheer gravity that these fountains would work. But they didn't have the water pressure to have them all on at the same time. So as the king or queen would move from one section of the garden to the other, there would be the the gardeners that would be rapidly turning off one section, then running to the next section the king and queen were going to um, and, and turning those on so that the fountains would be on when they were there, when they, when they arrived and all that. So um, anyway, so it's interesting. Of course, the king and queen were carried everywhere on their, you know, little liveries, so. Anyway, but um, anyway, and then we had um, afterwards we had dinner at Lauderie, and that was where the famous French macarons were first created. And again, it, it's a beautiful shop, all with chand- crystal chandeliers and you know beautiful you know wood paneling and and all that. And um, and so we were allowed. They stayed. They kept the shop open long enough for us to buy macarons and then at the end of dinner which was excellent um we were uh, able to um they gave us a little box of macarons so to take home so i have, I have lots nice. of macarons nice yeah so it was great so i had you know that we have the um what is you know the monte cristo sandwiches you know that you get it you know, like Cafe Orleans. Of course, yes. Yeah. They had their version. It was very elegant. Three little, they were like rolled up, you know, the ham and cheese were in like pastry rolls and then they were deep fried or, or fried. And then it came with French fries and a little salad and all that. And it was quite good, very filling. And then I had, for dessert, I had a St. Honoré cake, which was basically some pastry with, these like glazed like pralines or something and then just lots of french cream oh my gosh it was it was excellent so um anyway so so that was that and then on october 11th at 5 a.m sharp our bags are picked up for our um, transfer to the disneyland paris hotel and that is where um next week's episode will pick up But now it's time to travel back to the United States for This Week in Disney History. Okay, Craig, so um, so we have to take off our berets and uh, put on, I guess, our cowboy hats or whatever. I prefer my uh, thinking cap. Your thinking cap. Okay, I guess that's appropriate here (laughs) for, for this quiz. So anyway, so... For starting with October 20th. Okay, the Stanley Ranch Museum in Garden Grove, California, which is a collection of historic homes and businesses dating from the town's 19th century origins. On October 20th, 1984, the museum dedicated a structure with a Disney connection. What is this structure? Mm, um... I'm 
Luella and Mary Cho are yelling the answer out I, right now. Well, and I feel terrible. I'm not 100% positive on this one. So, I can't think. Well, I mean, I've been to Garden Grove. I can't think of what it is. Well, it's a garage called the First Disney Studio. The structure was Walt's first cartoon studio before he and Roy officially began the Disney Brothers Studio in 1923. And it belonged to the home of his uncle Robert, who Walt lived with for a short time at 4406 Kingswell Avenue. But Walt didn't stay too long at his uncle's garage, though. Um, Walt moved down the street on October 8, 1923 to 4651 Kingswell. And there in the back of a real estate office, he and his brother Roy officially set up what is considered to be the first Disney studio on October 16th. So featured at this day's dedication are local officials, uh, Mickey and Minnie Mouse from Disneyland, Imagineer Bill Justice, and more than 100 Disney fans. And there's even an official first day cover issue from the post office commemorating the dedication. And it was canceled by the Garden Grove United States Post Office. Oh, I, I mean, I feel terrible. I just, as, as a Disney fan, I don't, I just don't think I ever put it all together. So yeah, yeah. Uh, people call this Uncle Robert's garage. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, interesting. <laughs> Okay, October 21st. Mary Brown Robinson was born in McAllister, Oklahoma on October 1st, 1911. Disney fans will better know Miss Robinson by her married name. Who is she? Oh. She would become an artist. There's a hint. I'm just going to let you answer. Okay. Graphic designer and illustrator Mary Blair. Oh, that so, should have been, yeah. <laughs> Duh. Starting at the Disney Studios in 1940, her unique color stylings and design work graced such animated features as Alice in Wonderland, Cinderella, and Peter Pan. And you can see some of her artwork of, of these films at the Walt Disney Family Museum. Um, she also helped design the attraction It's a Small World. She painted mural art for Disneyland's Tomorrowland Promenade. Wait till I tell you what happened to one of those murals next week. And designed a 90-foot high ceramic tile mural for Walt Disney World's Contemporary Resort. One of the many studio employees who come to Walt Disney on his 1941 South America trip Miss Blair appeared in Disney's 1942 Saludos Amigos and acted as art supervisor for the 1944 The Three Caballeros. And some of her work from The Three Caballeros was later used in the fiesta scene in El Rio del Tiempo, the Mexican pavilion in Epcot's World Showcase, which coincidentally was dedicated on this day in 1982. And Mary Blair was named a Disney legend in 1991. There you go. Okay. October 22nd. Which Disney theme park had its formal grand opening on October 22nd, 1982? Well, the only theme park that opened in 1982 was Epcot, so I assume it 
has to be that, but... That's right. <laughs> Epcot Center. This grand opening would be held over the next three days. So the, the official Future World dedication takes place on this evening with special invited guests surrounding Spaceship Earth. Cast members dressed in tuxedos offer champagne as seven big bands provide entertainment for the elegant occasion. High above the park, the Goodyear blimp flashes the display, saluting Walt Disney World Epcot Center. There you go. Okay. October 23rd, October 23rd, 1982, Disney's television series airs the episode Epcot Center, the opening celebration. Who is the host of this television special? Oh, um, it was uh, Danny Kaye. That's right. Yeah, this thing's wild. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy little opening, yeah. Uh, the program also features actress Drew Barrymore, singer-guitarist Roy Clark, author Alex Haley, singer-actress Marie Osmond, newsman Eric Severide, and astronaut Alan Shepard. And boy, the more you hear the story, the behind-the-scenes stories of Danny Kaye during this filming, oh my gosh, he was not the happy little bubbly warm and fuzzy uh personality that you think he was i i mean i i didn't ever really think he was but you know what oh. it's i i only look for the worst in people so. <laughs> and then you're never disappointed <laughs> um, okay october 24th which disney animated series aired for the first time in october 24th 1994 is created and produced by greg weissman and is hailed as one of the more ambitious Disney animated series in history. Known for its complex and dramatic stories, this series was targeted at an older demographic. It, kind of the way you started to word it towards the end there. I'm, I, I want to say maybe gargoyles. So you're right. I had to put. It, I had to give you a clue because it was too vague yeah well and i mean it's a perfect timing because even though you know it was basically confirmed a little while back that gargoyles would be coming to disney plus yes the official official announcement of it got a lot of people excited so Mm -hmm. right and that was just recently the official announcement yes i I only just saw it pop up okay yeah i'm looking forward to seeing that because um my son watched that when he was little so it's okay it probably won't hold up (laughs) (laughs) gosh (laughs) i don't know i thought it was pretty good so okay october 25th billy barty the voice of bait mars bait mouse in a 1990 animated feature the rescues down under was born on october 25th 1924 in millsboro pennsylvania as william john Zetti. But Disney fans may know him best as the voice for which character? I feel like I know this answer, but it's not coming to me. Mm-hmm. Well, ha- well Ep- we've mentioned Epcot a couple of times, so it has to do with Epcot. Uh, I'm going to say then Figment? That's right. He's the original voice of Journey into Imagination's Figment. Anyway, so, all right. October 26th, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad airs on the Disney Channel on October 26, 
1997. This was painful to some Disney fans due to an announcement made four days earlier. What was this announcement? Oh, um... I'm going to say... It had to be around the time. A wild guess, but just based on the timing. I'm guessing it was right around when uh, Mr. Toads was announced that it was going to shut down. That's right. Walt Disney World is going to close the classic Mr. Toad attraction in Fantasyland. That's terrible timing. I know. It really is bad. (laughs) Disney has a way of doing things like that, though. (laughs) All right. Well, rough week with this one, Craig. It's a little tougher on the first ones. I, I think I've still screwed up. I uh, Maybe I misheard you because of our connection, but I, I heard you say Garden Grove, but that was the original first of the garage. That was never in Garden Grove, right? No, the, the museum's in Garden Grove. Uh, the... Um, the, the 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 garage was transported there. To gotcha. I, I misheard you on that. So I, I feel like I would have got it. But the entire time I'm like, what in the world was in Garden Grove? I mean, more people would make a pilgrimage to that if they knew that some, that Walt was so close to Anaheim <laughs> way back in the day. So. Yeah. No, I think when the house was sold and all that, they just, they decided, the, the, um, they felt the, garage had to be preserved that that all makes a little more sense i mean i'm not i'm not gonna give myself a pass on it but it's uh i'll I'll say that i uh, i could have done better (laughs) okay well you know when whenever you know folks go to a place for the first time you know we all we all go in like you know we have preconceived notions based on films and television shows and photographs and what we read in books about what a place is going to look and feel like and of course i did for going to london and paris and so you know looking back on it did they live up to what i imagined them to be and absolutely yes especially paris Paris of the films with these gorgeous, gorgeous buildings, all intricate and detailed, um, you know, stone buildings and these narrow little streets that wind on with interesting little shops, all that. That is Paris. That is exactly the way it is. There's this one ugly skyscraper that really needs to come down. And I, th- I think our guide said after they built that skyscraper, they realized their mistake. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they don't allow skyscrapers like that in Paris. And yeah, they shouldn't. And it, the, the, whatever you're looking for in Paris, it is there. It is gorgeous. Um, it, and, you know, I, with one exception in the Hall of Mirrors, I found most Parisians very friendly a, a lot of bumping into you and, and all that and Parisians especially the people in Paris when they walk they walk as if you're not in front of them and so the, you feel like they're going to plow into you finally in the last couple of days I thought I'm standing my ground yeah, and I, I wasn't moving out because I was just tired of it and you know what they did veer out of the way <laughs> so, there you go um, so I thought okay so I, I was sort of, I think I was so tired. I was just tired of always being polite and being the one that stepped out of the way. Yeah. And, um, 
but definitely you get jostled a lot in both cities. And uh, London, as um, I think Stephanie, a guide, said, London does a good job of blending modern with historic buildings. You'll have these beautiful historic buildings like you imagine London would have, these rows of houses and all that. And then suddenly there'll be a modern building right next to it. Yeah. And then it'll go back. And so Paris, you don't see that so much. and But um, you do in London, but it all works somehow. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, th- so these, both of these cities definitely lived up to my expectations. Good. Now, the level in shops and restaurants was very different. Uh, we already commented on it. You know, in a restaurant, you know, you want to pay your check, you can, uh, you can, you know, you're, you can have a whole life experience as you wait for your check. And, and then when you hand them your credit card, then the time it takes for them to come back to with their little machine and all this kind of stuff. And um, it takes a while. And, um, you know, they you, they don't refill things quite as much or clear away things or even ask you how is everything, you know, stuff like that. They just don't do that. Um, mm-hmm. What surprised me in the shops was, first of all, in some shops, finding someone to help you when you're ready to pay can be a challenge. But what I found annoying is I'm in the middle of the transaction. And if someone walks up to the clerk with a question, the clerk devotes all their attention to them. And that conversation can go on for quite a while. I mean, there was one time, literally, I had already paid and was signing my my little receipt. I, all I needed was for him to hand me back my credit card. And he went into a full-blown full conversation with somebody who had walked up to him. And I'm just standing there. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, just give it back to me and let me hand you my receipt. And um, so I encountered a lot of that in the shops. So otherwise, um, otherwise everything was fine. So, um, but but yeah, I it, it was I loved it. I mean, those are definitely cities I I want to visit again and yeah. see more of, and the surrounding countryside. Understandable. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right. Well, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can see me on all the shows that I'm on on the Diz Unplugged Podcast Network. And then you can follow me anytime you want on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. Michael, what about you? Well, you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. On Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. That's the Connecting with Walt banner. All the photos of the places that I've talked about are on there. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplug.com or go to the link that Craig has in our show notes. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.